I'm Christopher Calloway, and welcome to Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comics and in other mediums. Know, O oh Prince, that in the waning days of winter, hither came to Creator Talks Mahmoud Asrar, artist on Conan the Barbarian. Mahmoud is also the co-creator, along with Jay Farber, on the series Dynamo 5, Mahmoud grew up in Turkey, and we begin our conversation with what it was like going to school there. We also discuss going to art school and how studying animation and sculpting helps Mahmoud with his comic book art today. Mahmoud tells us his favorite Conan artist and how that person influences his approach to drawing Conan for Marvel Comics. He also tells us the story of when he was offered the Conan art job and what it is like working with the writer of the series, Jason Aaron, and the colorist, Matthew Wilson. What is Mahmoud's future plan for his own creations? It's not a sword and sorcery tale. And how does he manage to get any work done at home? And who is his greatest supporter and greatest critic? And of course, we learn more about Mahmoud as a person as we go into the segment, Kicking Back with the Creator, where I ask fun questions of all my guests. This interview is brought to you by The Comic Book Shop at 1855 Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. And so now it is my extreme pleasure to present to you the artist working on one of my favorite characters in books and comics, Mahmoud Asrar. Here now on Creator Talks. Mahmoud, welcome to Creator Talks. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. I want to ask you about uh, your parents. Your mother is Austrian, your father's Pakistani. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a funny story because my mom's Austrian and my father's Pakistani, but they got married in Turkey and they lived there all their lives and stuff, and I was born there. So people assume I'm Turkish, but yeah, it's a bit more complicated than that. So it always gets a bit uh, tricky to explain to people how I originated, I guess. You know? <laughs> well, what was it like growing up in that household, and what was Turkey like? I had a, a nice upbringing, I guess. You know, uh, I studied in this Pakistani school, which was a school uh, for kids from other countries that didn't have a school of their own. For example, I mean, kids from the U.S. would have a school in Turkey where they would go to study. But let's say a Polish kid wouldn't have a school, so he would come to the Pakistani school. So, like, I studied there, and I had quite a bit of friends from all kinds of countries and everywhere. Yeah, I had a very cosmopolitan, I would say, maybe, uh, upbringing, and it was nice. I really enjoyed having an experience like that growing up. What was the curriculum like in school? I had an English education. That's how I got to learn English at an earlier age. Um, I mean, aside from that, I guess everything was like a regular school, I guess. You know, we didn't have any extra classes, uh, stuff like music or art or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But we had all the basics, you know, like uh, social studies, math, science and whatever, you know. And so eventually you moved to Vienna. So what prompted that move? That's uh, relatively recent. It's been about a little bit over four years. My wife, she saw Vienna about, uh, I don't know, in 2004. And ever since then, she always loved it here and she wanted to move. We kind of planned for that, but it always got delayed for some reason. And then we had our son and then it got delayed again for a couple of years. 
But in the end, we managed to move here. So it's been about four years. And I mean, we just love it here. You know, like it's been great for us. You know, it's very culturally rich. And, you know, it's also close to a lot of obviously European countries. So it's also easier for me to travel to a lot of conventions and stuff as well. So your wife saw it and she's like, I want to live there. And it was an easy (laughs) sell for you, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I had to listen to the wife. You know, she said, we're going to move. I said, yeah, well, well, okay. She's the boss. (laughs) Yeah, I can't complain. (laughs) Before you moved, you were into comics at a young age. So what grabbed you about comics and which ones were you reading? I guess I was lucky in terms of being exposed to a lot of different kinds of comics. I mean, in Turkey, I was uh, reading a lot of translated comics from different publishers all around the world. I mean, I would read a lot of Italian comics, uh, like the Westerns and, you know, like uh, things like that, Dylan Dog. That came a bit later, but like uh, Ken Parker and stuff like that. While I was also exposed to American comics like Superman, Batman, and uh, a lot of DC stuff and some Marvel as well, uh, due to my mom bringing German translated comics from Austria. One of the bigger things that I grew up with was Conan, which was really huge when I was a kid in Turkey. You know, everybody almost read Conan and it was really popular over there. So I was one of those kids as well, reading Conan. I was also exposed to a lot of other stuff, European comics like Asterix, Tintin, and several other stuff. Everything almost except for maybe manga. So when you read comics, when was the first time you began to notice who was creating the comics? Like, who was the writer? Who was the artist? Because when I started... It didn't really sink in at first until I got a little older. But when did you first pick up on who was doing this work? My first realization came with Conan. I was reading lots of Conan books and there was this particular artist that liked. There were different art styles and things going on in the book and I would realize that. But I didn't know why it was. <laughs> Later on, I saw like uh, on the opening pages or, you know, like the, those big splash pages, they, they would have some text that they wouldn't erase, you know, in the Turkish translate versions and stuff like that. So there would be like names of the writers and stuff. And I would see like art by or pencils by or whatever. And I'm like, what does pencils by mean? Does this guy buy the pencils for this book or something? <laughs> so like that synced in later on, you know, again, John Buscema was my initial, you know, hero, I guess. It was this art that I was drawn to and, you know, really enjoyed as a kid. And that was, you know, the first name that I really... Uh, noticed first. Oh, he was one of my favorites. His work on Avengers, his work on Conan. And I think he preferred to do the Conan type stories versus the Avengers. I mean, he was very good at drawing team books. But I think I had read that he gravitated more towards doing Conan. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. Like, uh, I heard that he didn't like drawing those heroes with costumes, you know, like Mm -hmm. the spandex and stuff so much. Rather, he would draw people like Conan or like Silver Surfer. And things like that, because he could be more expressive. Now, through reading those comics, did you find out about Robert E. Howard and the pulp stories that he wrote about Conan? Uh, Yeah, Conan, I would know, uh, and all of his other comics that came through his books, Call and, you know, Red Sonja and things like that. I was exposed to those comics, but I'm never actually to the books and novellas by Robert E. Howard himself. You know, that came a bit later on. Uh, I'm recently trying to catch up with the books that I haven't read and stuff like that as well. Oh, so is that part of the research you're doing to kind of get into the character that you're now drawing? Are you going back and reading some of the actual stories that Robert E. Howard wrote? I don't feel the uh, exact need to do it. I mean, I feel this inspiration to to listen to them, actually. I'm listening to audiobooks. Ah. So it also helps with when I'm drawing, you know. It's like uh, some kind of background inspiration while I'm drawing, you know, like listening to his depictions of the characters or the situations and stuff like that. So it does help. (laughs) Now, have you kept all those comics that you had when you were growing up? Unfortunately not. I do keep uh, some of the stuff that I had as a kid, as a small kid. 
but most of them are gone. And, you know, I never really took care of them anyways as a kid, so they were mostly destroyed. But I actually got into comics a bit later on as a, you know, real fan, maybe in the early 90s or maybe late 80s, I guess. So that's when I started taking care of my books and, you know, like collecting and stuff like that. So, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have most of my original Turkish Conan books, but I'm trying to pick those up again now. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of comics and I cycle through them because there's only so much space, as you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I still have a lot of the ones I read when I was little. So I do know, yes, I beat the crap out of them. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not valuable. They were just loved and read many times. <laughs> yeah, reader copies. <laughs> exactly, reader copies, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now tell me about your art training. When did the idea of taking art classes start? When did you want to become an artist? Mm, that, that was a difficult thing for me because like, when you grow up in Turkey, there's this, I don't know, societal pressure that you have to study university and, you know, to become something. When I was closing the end of high school, I had that pressure of having an education, further education, but I didn't know what to do. I just wanted to do what I did, you know, like I wanted to draw and illustrate and things like that. But, you know, I didn't have any real guidance. But then uh, I found out that there was fine art schools and things like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, through my uh, family friends. And then later on, I found a few other friends who are in comics as well who told me about this kind of stuff, So, which fascinated me, of course. So I decided to study university in graphics, which was not a very good idea, I guess, <laughs> initially, <laughs> because it was a bit too, um, I don't know how to say it, maybe commercial for mm -hmm. what I wanted to do you know like it was I just wanted to do comics so and the closest thing that I had to do comics was graphics uh, in my town then uh, I had some friends like uh, Yildirai Chuna who's an artist for the American market and a very close friend of mine who studied animation in Eskishir and uh, he told me about the school and you know like how the education over there was really great taught you how to draw and tell stories and things like that so uh, uh, after studying two years in graphic arts in Ankara, I decided to move to uh, Eskisehir to study animation from where I graduated four years after. Now, when you were studying, was there an instructor or a mentor, someone that really helped you with your work? Is there anyone that stands out in your mind? I had really good teachers, but I, I don't think uh, I've had somebody specific that really, you know, like brought something out from inside of me. But it was like a collective thing, I would say, because I had so many friends that were so talented. It was a really eye-opening experience for me to study in university in art education. And uh, because growing up, I was kind of isolated and I didn't have too many artistic friends around me. You would have your parents say, you're amazing. Oh, this drawing is really great. And you're like, everybody, all of your friends say, oh, he's the artist in the class. He's amazing and whatever. And then I came to uh, class in the university and everybody was like either my level or better or whatever. So like, ah. that was very humbling. That kind of helped me drive myself to be better, you know, and learn different things, uh, open my eyes to different avenues of art. For example, study sculpting a little bit. So like which really made me grasp three dimensions in drawing. So it was really a collective thing, I would say. And you mentioned studying animation. How has that helped you with your comic art? Obviously, animation is a form of storytelling. So I thought it was very close to what we do on the paper. So it was really helpful. We would have uh, lessons in how to write the script from the synopsis to the treatment to full script and everything. We would learn how to use cameras. We would learn how to draw animation and how things move and everything. So uh, that actually broadened my horizon. Uh, it was a very good experience. And it was the only experience that I would have that was 
close to comics. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have to go, you know, like architecture or, you know, like sculpting and stuff like that, which is art, of course, but it's not directly storytelling. So animation was great for me, I would say. When you were working as an artist, when was the moment that you realized, I can actually make a living? That feeling came a few different times in my life. I can't point to a specific thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, like when <laughs> the first time, you know, like uh, I saw some cash dropping into my account or something like that, you know, like, okay, this is actual money I could spend on this, you know, like <laughs> and I can actually pay, hey, I paid the rent or whatever, you know, so, yeah. yeah, so that kept on going. And I guess it felt real after a while. So it was a gradual thing. I don't think I can point to a specific thing right now. Well, now you're working on Conan the Barbarian. That's a success. You snagged a very plum and important assignment because this is Marvel's relaunch of the character after 15 years it was a dark horse prior to that they had a great run over there but man it just shot out of the gates at marvel tell me about the day that you were tapped for that job and your reaction tb emailed me and you know he said uh cb sebulski from marvel emailed me he said like we want to call you and about something and this was like last year early summer or something i guess and i said okay they normally don't call me they just tell me something on the email mm -hmm. <laughs> if there's something up so, like, I was both excited and also worried, you know, because my exclusivity contract with Marvel was also ending. So, like, I didn't know what this was about and stuff like that. So, like, I just asked them, sure, yeah, we can talk the other day and whatever. And what is this about? <laughs> and uh, they just uh, sent me a short email and they just said, it's something with Jason, Jason Aaron. And, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. This is, this, this is not bad. This is good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Then they called me, and then I would say it was a brief call, you know, because, <laughs> because um, yeah, they told me, uh, okay, it's uh, Jason writing, and as you know, Conan is back with Marvel, and he spoke really highly of you, meaning Jason, you really wanted to see on the book as well, and we really think that you would be a good fit. We know you love this kind of stuff and everything, and so we would love you to be the artist on this book and stuff. So <laughs> I was kind of like, I guess, I don't know, I was giggling probably because, you know, it was unreal. I knew Marvel was taking this thing to, you know, like publishing. I never imagined they would ask me. There would be so many other people that I imagined they would go to first. But I got the call and I was like, OK, this is kind of real. <laughs> I didn't say yes right away. though. Uh, like I said, can I give you an answer tomorrow? Because, uh, yeah, I, I guess I wanted to let the idea sink in. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So, yeah, we kind of ended the call over there on a positive note. And, you know, so like I told my wife and everything and she said, you got to take this on. And I said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't know why I wanted to wait. But, yeah, I did wait a day. It was hard. I did email them back. And, you know, of course, I jumped in and I was uh, really flattered to take it on. Um, it was one of the best decisions that I ever made. Uh, it was great that they asked me, and I was really happy to accept it. Well, I can understand you're waiting for a bit. One, you want to share the good news and get a reaction. And two, I want to play hard to get a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to give answers right away. So, mm -hmm. like, uh, I've learned from my wife <laughs> to think a little bit, you know, take things slow. And, you know, like, uh, you know, I just uh, <laughs> thought it would be a good idea just to let it sink in a little bit. Now, you said Jason had spoke highly of you. What work of yours did he see that made him say, I? Yeah, I want Mahmoud on this. We actually got to work with him uh, on a book the year before. We did the Tor Generations book, which was a one-shot book with Tor and Jane Foster Tor. Yeah, uh, they got to meet and you know, like, and it was really fun. Then they went to old Egypt uh, and there were like Vikings and everything. So 
it was tremendous fun for me. So that year, later on, we both were at a convention in Lucca in Italy. And we got to meet and we got to chat and we got real friendly. And we both said to each other that we really wanted to work with each other again and stuff like that. So, And prior to that, I also exchanged some emails with him. Like, you know, I told him, like, I would like to work with him again the first chance we get. So I guess he remembered. <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, and uh, that's, I guess, how that came about in a way. So since you've worked with him before, it must be fairly easy working with him now on Conan. Uh, exactly, yeah. And um, I guess uh, Jason is very easy to work with as well. You know, I don't know. It's uh, When I look at the scripts, I just can visualize things really easily. And it's just so much fun, things that he writes, that I, I really want to put them on paper really fast and make the best work that I can. And I don't know. I think it's a good collaboration, and I really enjoy it. Now, another important member of the team on Conan the Barbarian is Matthew Wilson doing the colors. Absolutely, yeah. And what's it like working with Matt? Like, how much interaction do you have, and what do you like about his coloring in particular over your work? I've been a big fan of Matt for a long time. I mean, I think he's one of the top three guys in the business uh, right now, and I really wanted to work with him on the log for a long time, uh, but we only got the chance to do, like, a few covers before this project together, and they always turned out great. I've followed his work on different kinds of projects, and I really loved how versatile he was. He could do Paper Girls and he could do like uh, Black Widow stuff and he could do all kinds of books. And it would be easy to tell it was Matt's work, but it would always be unique, uh, always fitting the situation. I thought he would be great for this project. I reached out to the editor and I really insisted to have him on board and crossed my fingers. And <laughs> we did actually... Um, exchange emails with Matt before talking about wanting to work together and stuff like that. But we never had the opportunity. But I guess this was the, the time, you know, so like everything worked out this time. The thing that I most love about his work is, I guess, his sense of color and his sense of depth. Uh, when you look at a page, you can really read things really easily without any hardships on how to tell what's going on on the page, you know, like what's in the back or whatever, you know, he doesn't destroy the line. He just brings out the best in the art. He enhances it, which I think is amazing. And I really can't stop gushing about his work all the time. Well, I'm looking at the work and I want to talk about that for a bit. I have issue one here in front of me and I picked it up off the stand at my comic shop and I opened it up and it sold me right away. One, I've been reading Conan for years. I started out reading the paperbacks and then into the comics, but what grabbed me was I opened it up and there's this double page spread and it has all these artists from Marvel back in the day who worked on this book. So that was a wonderful homage. So right there, you are following in their tradition. You're among the greats now. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm trying. You know, yeah, it's hard to. Sorry. <laughs> Mind <grab>. blowing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a cinematic title page. It's like looking at a movie and then just Conan sitting in his throne. Now, I heard other podcasters mention this, which is a great observation that when they saw your artwork and I can see it, there's a weight to him on that throne. That sounds like some of your sculpture work coming through there, that idea of three dimensions. It's not just, here's a guy in a chair. There's the weight of being king and the years on him, and you can really see that. Would you say sculpting, study of that, help with that idea of giving weight to objects in your work? I guess so. Like, I mean, it's not a conscious thing, I would say, but like remembering back when I used to sculpt stuff at school and how it really opened up my eyes to seeing things in volumes and things like that, it really helps, I guess, shaping the way I wanted to do things on the paper. 
But my biggest influence in this sense is John Buscema. When talking about weight in a character, I think he is unmatched. The way John Buscema draws people, you know, sitting around, you know, like lounging or whatever, you know, I don't know, unconscious or whatever. He's the best. So like <laughs> whatever I have is probably some derivation of what he did. So uh, I looked to a lot of his work recently again, you know, like to get inspiration and to get that strength offline work from him. Hopefully I grabbed it a little bit. Absolutely. You certainly did. I think that's why it appealed to me so much because I love Busema's work. And right after that page, there's a splash page. And I mean, literally it's a splash page because <laughs> there's some splashing going on there. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see how you and Matt Wilson with the colors really make that an impactful page to kick off the rest of the story. And I mean, if people have been on the fence about, I don't know, Conan has been around Really, the good old days are back, folks. This is a, this is a great book. I mean, and Marvel's giving this character a lot of attention. And just to give folks an idea of how well this is working out, and how much fans like it, issues one through three are in second printing now. Is that right? One and two got third printings. The third issue got two printings at the moment. Maybe it will get more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> don't sleep on this book, guys. <laughs> no, it's not bad at all. And I mean, look, we've got Conan the Barbarian. We've got Savage Sword of Conan. And right. we've got a, a Belit story coming out. And then we also have a team book coming out, which is going to include Conan too. So, And on top of all that... Arnold Schwarzenegger posted oh, yeah. <laughs> something on social media with the comic commenting on your artwork. So there you go, right from Arnold. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. The the page where he's king, you know, on the throne. Right. Yeah. And the moment I saw that, I was like shocked because like I was checking my Instagram. I saw like Schwarzenegger, but I'm seeing my art on this post. <laughs> I'm a big Schwarzenegger fan. He's also like being part Austrian and he being Austrian in origin, you know, is like kind of, you know, makes me a bit more of a fan of him, I guess. So yeah, uh, I love him, uh, you know, and uh, seeing him post that was really flattering and uh, fun. <laughs> he should do another Conan movie. Like Absolutely. King, King, yeah. Conan. King Conan. How many Rockies were there? Go ahead, Arnold, do one more. King Conan. Old Conan. He should. <laughs> <laughs> So we know your favorite was John Buscema, who worked on Conan. And there were others, too, like Barry Windsor Smith was one of my favorites. Carrie Nord and Tomas Giarello, two of my favorites, one that was at Dark Horse, also worked on the series, the other series, Ron Garney at Marvel. Right, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's it, amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's great. When you think back, where did you think you would be now, 10 years ago in your life, did you think you would be doing this and having this much success with Conan? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> because, uh, ten, I guess 10 years ago, I was probably doing my Dynamo 5 and doing my probably earliest work with Marvel, which was really fascinating for me back then. I was happy with what I was doing, but uh, I wasn't imagining I would be doing this and all the other things that I did up to now. I'm really grateful with whatever happened in my career. and I'm looking forward to what comes next, but really flattered to be doing Conan right now prognosticate a bit with me. Where do you think you're going to be in 10 years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? I'm not a person who really plans that far ahead or anything like that. But I guess 10 years from now, I would like to be known as a guy who did good comics. Of course, with some stuff that would people remember me by as well, like my own books and whatever, you know, some maybe my own self-published stuff and things like that. I don't really have any huge gigantic aspirations or you know like i just want to be good at what i do and just go on now in terms of self-publishing is there something someday when the timing is right that you want to work on anything you can share any of your own concepts that 
You know, um, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil yeah. anything or give anything away if you have things under wraps. Just some direction, like what genre? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I've been thinking about stuff on and off, and talking with people also to collaborate about things pretty recently as well. But nothing just came to solidify uh, recently. But I do want to do something of my own uh, down the line, and uh, I do have different ideas. But I guess I would most likely want to do something sci-fi. Uh, maybe post-apocalyptic stuff, or I'm a big fan of cyberpunk as well. So like something like that, you know, uh, I would like to do something in that area, I guess. I mean, out of the superhero realm, uh, I guess, because I've been doing that for such a long time. When I do my own thing, I would want it to be a bit something different, I guess. Now, you mentioned post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Was there a movie that you watched growing up or recently that you really liked that was post-apocalyptic? Something that influences you in writing stories about that? Mad Max 2. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, that was my big thing. You know, like I, I watched that really early on as a kid. And uh, I remember my mom saying, like, uh, we won't see these days, but when you guys grow up, you will see the world like this. <laughs> that kind of scared me. Jeez. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, thankfully it hasn't been that way yet. I guess that affected me, but I really love that movie. And I've always been a big fan of the genre, and I've tried to watch all kinds of post-apocalyptic movies and books and things like that ever since then. (laughs) I guess Mad Max too. (laughs) Yeah, I find post-apocalyptic stories interesting, especially in comics over the years, because what scared humanity, what they feared was changing over the decades, you know, like... Prior to the bomb, it was monsters. And then after the bomb, it was atomic monsters. It was atomic death. And then there was fear about an alien invasion and now zombies. But it's interesting how it changes. And I love looking at movies over the decades and how they interpreted the future. Because I find that Mm -hmm. always fun. I find that fun about comics too. Marvel Comics, for example, had Kill Raven. And that Mm -hmm. was about the future in like 2020. We're getting pretty close. And right. Deathlock, <laughs> Deathlock, who was set in the future in 1990, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, now looking oh, yeah. back, right? <laughs> but it's kind of neat to see how people at that time saw the future. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's fascinating. Even when you think about all the sci-fi stuff back in the 50s, you know, like mm-hmm. they were thinking about the flying cars and everything, you know. So I find it uh, very, very interesting. You know, even in the movie, for example, this is a... A funny thing, I guess. The Demolition Man, you know, with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. The movie started out in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they went 50 years in the future or something like that. So, like, oh, it was like, I was, wow, they think it's going to be like this and stuff. It was scary, but of course, a bit exaggerated. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, when you do get around to doing creator owned work, and if it's post apocalyptic, it'll be solicited as. From the artist that brought you Conan the Barbarian. But we'll see that in the marketing material. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so now I have questions I'd like to ask my guests. I call this Kicking Back with the Creator. It's just questions just to get to know you better, like we were just doing. It's just fun things. My first question to you is, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation? The first thing, I guess, that comes to mind is I'm a big gamer, so I, I do play games. <laughs> okay. Right. Which is kind of like a, you know, like a bit, uh, you know, like I try to hide from my editors and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm a professional. I try to keep it professional level, you know. So yeah, I, I try to play games. I enjoyed it all my life, I guess. Uh, so I still do that. Besides that, of course, whenever we get a chance, like a small holiday or something, I like to take a trip somewhere you know, with, with the family, see new places and things like that. So yeah, 
I guess uh, those are the two major things. Trips are good. Chance to recharge, spend time with the family. And the gaming's good, too. I mean, you know, gaming is a kind of a storytelling. If you're playing a role-playing game or a video game, you're going through stories. Exactly, yeah. Um, I guess I would say I enjoy games that tell good stories. Those are the things that I look at most. Now, thinking back to a birthday, any birthday that stands out in your mind, doesn't have to be a good one, just a memorable one, what birthday stands out in your mind? That's a hard one, I guess. Because, yeah, uh, we never really cared too much about the birthdays. Hmm... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some people make a big deal out of birthdays and other families right. don't really. Because you know, once you get a couple behind you, to me, once you get past 21, nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I laughs> Until you hit so, a milestone. Yeah. You know, it's like, another one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid, uh, it's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Getting the presents and everything. Yeah, I don't have any specific memory that comes to mind, you know, like that was extraordinary and thing. But I had good birthdays. But, you know, especially after being a dad, mm-hmm. <laughs> I give less and less care about my own birthday, but about my son's <laughs> birthday and stuff like that. So I'm sorry, I don't have a good answer for no, you. No, <laughs> that, that's okay. But let me ask you, have you received any gifts from your children that you're like, that is really cool, that they thought of that? No. <laughs> 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 I tried, man. So, no, sorry, sorry to disappoint. No, no, no. But again, you know, like it's family-wide, we really don't care too much. Okay. You know, like we just want our son to have a good time at his birthday. That's about it. You know. All right, that's cool. No, my kid will be like, "Oh, here's some Pokemon cards, Dad, or something that he likes that he just gives to me. Here, you want awesome. these?" I'm like, "Oh, thanks, awesome. man." <laughs> No, but I, I mean, I, I have to be fair. Like, my wife always does something sweet for me. You know, like makes a special cake with some special design on it or whatever you know like from a game i play or whatever you know just to make it like a surprise and it's usually out of nowhere and i just love it you know <laughs> now is she artistic uh, oh yeah uh she's also an artist uh we actually met in school uh, when i was studying graphic design she's my also inspiration in that sense and also one of my biggest critics <laughs> okay <Yeah>. <laughs> wonderful she understands what you're going through when you do your work every day. And like you said, she can be a great supporter and a great critic. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> now, thinking back to when you were what we call a teenager, like 12, 14 years of age, what posters and or pictures did you have on the bedroom wall? We shared a room with my brother. So, like, we had uh, shared posters and things like that. So, for a while, we had this uh, really big poster of that I, I remember being as a painted picture of all the Marvel characters, seemingly like maybe a hundred or more characters on the poster. It's like uh, the Hulk being in the center and almost all the characters all around them and stuff. And it was always fascinating to look at that poster, you know, like all these characters. Some I knew, some I didn't know, and it was mysterious in a way as well because like I didn't have access to all those comics as a kid, maybe. I would see these obscure characters on the sides and I was like, what's his story or what's she about or what and things like that you know so that was one of those i guess um besides that i was not really big on posters but things came on and off movie stuff robocop i remember i remember conan stuff from the movies now this is a hypothetical question and you've probably heard this kind of question before if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could have one book. And I'll allow a set of books if they're all related in some way. And these are books for pleasure. Don't worry about survival guides and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. What's the one book you'd want to have with you? Mm. Is it like a, you mean like a prose novel or? Uh... Oh, it could be either. Prose novel, trade paperback, graphic novel, whatever. Right. Okay. Let me think. If it was a novel, I would get a Moby Dick with me. But if it was a comic book or something related like that, I guess... 
I would get some sort of art book uh, rather than like an actual comic. Can't think of something specific, but... <laughs> well, Moby Dick will keep you busy for a long time. It's a long book. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and the art book, well, I guess that's almost like a tool for your mind that you could always kind of look at and work on your own art, you know, not rather than just read a story and be done with it, like a reference. Right. Uh, lately, I buy books mostly for the art, and um, I find less and less time to read stuff, uh, so I lean on to audiobooks and stuff like that. So mostly I look at comics and art books and things like that. So I guess that's what makes me think like that right now. <laughs> well, you are pretty busy working on the comics, and with the family and everything, you got to find that time. Do you work when everyone kind of settles down and rests for the evening, or do you get up early? Like, how's your schedule work? How are you fitting in all that family life and your paying job? <laughs> well, um, I do most of my work when my son's at school, I guess. Early in the morning, we get up, a family breakfast, and then I drop my son off at school about 8 o'clock. Uh, I come back home, and uh, usually, like, in about half an hour of laziness and probably just, like, surfing and, you know, like, checking emails and stuff like that, I slowly get started on working. And I guess I probably work around until 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Then I pick up my son, and then I try to work a little bit more. And then I usually stop around 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock uh, in the evening. And then it's family time. And if I still have work to do, then I get back to work after my son goes to sleep. So <laughs> I guess uh, the theme is obvious. It's all my work is around scheduled around my son's schedule. So <laughs> well, you got a good balance there. I have two follow-up questions about that. One, sure. do you start your day with a warm-up sketch? And when you have to stop and take care of family responsibilities, does that break your rhythm when you're working on your comic work? Yeah, I mean, the first question is, like, I usually don't do warm-up stuff, but if I do something like that, I do a cool-down thing. So it's, like, almost the opposite. I can actually uh, switch on the working uh, mode uh, right away and get started working right away. Um, and when I'm done, I sometimes I feel like if it was a long day or a stressful day, I, like, I want to just draw something uh, to let the stress out. I call that a cool down thing. So I do that sometimes. Uh, but other than that, I think I got used to my concentration being broken. <laughs> Again, when my son uh, was born. So like I got used to, I, I always work from home. It's been part of my work schedule. Like I would uh, get interrupted all the time or you know like sometimes i would just work all day without interruptions but i'm used to it so, and i'm i'm kind of okay with it it's all right you know so unless i'm doing layouts which usually takes up a lot of brain power so when i do layouts i try to be focused without interruptions and things like that yeah there you're doing the storytelling part before you get exactly. into the detail uh, yeah. that's mm -hmm. yeah that's the probably the hardest part i guess now another hypothetical they say, Mahmoud, we're going to make an action figure of you, your own action figure. <laughs> what would be your accessory? <laughs> okay, that's a good question. And my accessory, okay. Let me think. Um, I don't know, maybe my wife would give a better answer to this. <laughs> but I, right now, I mean, I, I'm just going to go with a pencil or a pen or something like that. Uh, I guess something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this one's a little easier. When you're relaxing, when you're resting and relaxing, what is your beverage of choice? I used to be 
a tea drinker, uh, different kinds of tea. Mm-hmm. But most recently, I've been a whiskey <laughs> drinker. Ah. Yeah, I got into that thing, and you know, like so. Yeah, I like to sip on a, a bit of whiskey every evening, you know, just to relax and you know, enjoy the evening with the family and everything. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's it. That's a very good choice, and it doesn't take much to relax. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Now, thinking of all the work that you've had to do, I mean, outside of comics, maybe as a teenager, what was the oddest job that you ever had? Um, okay, so like I've been lucky that I always had jobs working in art. So like I started out working in this multimedia company. Besides that, I did, I did like, uh, I don't know, fanzines and comics with my friends. And then I did professional comics. That's how I earned a living. But yeah, thinking back when I was about 12 years old, 13 or something like that, like I was at a hotel for this reception thing that my friend's family was holding for their embassy or something. And yeah, for for some reason, I found myself in this coats area, you know, where people leave their coats and stuff, but they were selling roses. <laughs> so they let me there and they told me like, okay, you're going to be in charge of this for a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably the oddest job I had. So like I was selling roses for these people that came to the reception and stuff. Yeah, but I don't know if that counts, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, it's different. It's different. Yeah. (laughs) Now, my final question. Out of all the comics you've read, Mm -hmm. and maybe still have, which comic book had the most impact upon you as a reader? Which one is your favorite? And I know that is a tough question because it would be hard for me. But is there one that's your favorite? For whatever reason, it might be the story, the artist, the writer, or just some emotional attachment to the time when you were reading it. I see. Um, yeah, uh, I do have a go-to answer for this. And I think it's, I would say, a Dark Knight Returns. I think it's a very common answer, but uh, it's true for me because it really changed the way that I looked at comics and uh, it fascinated me, you know, the, the storytelling, the art and everything about it. And I still think it's, it holds up and it's an amazing comic book. Um, so, I mean, I've had comics that probably affected me more uh, at a certain time or maybe, I don't know, uh, at a certain period or before or after. But overall, throughout my life, I guess that would be my direct answer. Okay, that's a very good answer. I know probably for a lot of people that changed the way so, they yeah. <laughs> read comics forever, you know. Mahmoud, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and discussing your work and discussing Conan and comics and all that great stuff. Thank you so much for being on Creator Talks today. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me. Coming up next week on the show, my guest will be Julius Ota. Julius is the artist on Betty Page and the upcoming Betty Page Unbound. You may also have seen his previous work, also through Dynamite Entertainment, Sherlock Holmes' The Vanishing Man. So join me and Julius next week when we talk about living in Sao Paulo, working as a creator, working on the next arc of Betty Page, Betty Page Unbound, coming out in April, and also how he broke through getting the assignment working on Sherlock Holmes' The Vanishing Man. Also next week, I've added to the show a new feature, Creator Corner, where I have a returning guest who had been on the show before talking about their latest work. It will be a much shorter interview. I'm not doing a double header where I have two guests on talking about two different books. What I decided to do is have a short 10-15 minute update interview with that creator about their latest project. And if all goes according to plan, that guest next week will be someone who also lives, like Julius, in Sao Paulo. And now for the usual business, my show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, Amazon Alexa-enabled devices, Stitcher, and now Spotify. 
Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. It is free. And if you have a chance, please log into iTunes and leave a brief review and or star rating. It helps podcasts get noticed. So while you're in there helping me, help the other podcasts you listen to and leave them a star rating as well. Show them some love. You can find me on social media at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And every Saturday, there'll be my Silver Age Comics Spotlight and Sunday Bronze Age Comics Spotlight, which features comics from my collection. And if you want to reach out to me through email, contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. Thank you for listening. I know you have a lot of choices, so thanks for spending a little time with me this week. Enjoy your comics. Be good to one another. Hey, and share what you're reading on social media with me. I'd like to know what you're reading and who you'd be interested in having on the show. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.